Watch your favorite ESPN Syracuse sports talk shows on QSportsTalk.com. TVOffers.com, powered by Drivers Village, is a proud supporter of Syracuse basketball. Radio coverage on ESPN Radio Syracuse. We are the pulse of the orange. ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. Watch out. Yeah, talking about way out there. Bayheim! Schrader takes. It's a two-man rush. Schrader steps Stop up. It. Pop pass up the middle. Parker's got, got it. Ruby run. 15-10. Hit it in. Gregory's yes. touchdown. The Bills make me wanna shout. Allen looks to his left. Fires left side. In go to the end zone. Stephon Diggs makes the catch. Touchdown, Buffalo. Swing in the miss. It is over. The Boston Red Sox. Baseball's best all season long. They have won it all. This is On the Block. Yeah, I was driving home yesterday, so I heard some of your show. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Brent. Thank you. Thanks, Brent. Two, one. Here's X-Men. Here on ESPN Radio, 97.7.100.1.ESPNRadio.com. The magical QSportsTalk.com. The marvelous QSportsTalk.com. Oh, yes, where you can watch a radio show as it happens. You can chat uh, with said radio show as it happens, literally in the chat. Remember those old AOL chats? They're back, baby. They're back, but not an AOL. You don't uh, have an AOL away message. I don't remember what mine was. You could give me all day, and I, I I couldn't think of that. I did have one. I know I did have one, but uh, in any case, we don't have those for you. When you log into QSportsTalk.com, it doesn't go, like when we used to connect to AOL. Mom, hang up the phone. I'm online. No, 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 it's not what happens at QSportsTalk.com. You just, you're there, and you see the show, and you chat during the show, and you get the show within the show, meaning when the... Radio audience goes to commercial break. You do not. Ma, I'm on the internet. Darn it. Sorry. QSportsTalk.com. You uh, get the microphone and the camera. Ma, again. The meatloaf. Sorry. Where were we? Oh, yeah. We keep the camera on and the microphone on. And uh, we keep talking to you during breaks. Fun little thing. It's like a secret club. That meets in an AOL chat late at night. You know, when mom's not picking up the phone. Stop it. Love you, mom. Let us uh, get into the contents of today's program, shall we? Syracuse basketball certainly will be on the table. Rare that Uncle Brent is not going to lead off the show. 
with some Syracuse basketball. <laughs> I, I got some things. I got some things. But we certainly are going to talk Syracuse hoops because it gets real now. North Carolina at the Dome tomorrow. Jordan uh, informing me just before uh, tip-off of this show, if you will, that Syracuse is a three-point underdog at home against the Tar Heels tomorrow. So we will certainly take a step forward here. The path ahead for the Orange, they avoided the pothole against Georgia Tech. They got themselves in a pothole to start, as usual, but avoided the biggest pothole of all. And they got three more of those. They've got to avoid down the road and try to jam as many of these quad one and quad two games on the slate as they can. We will go over the rest of Divisional Weekend, which per usual Divisional Weekend standards, kind of a letdown. Hopefully the AFC and NFC Championship games set up for some excellent football because the four best teams are there, and usually one of the two are excellent. But, man, after the AFC Divisional round we got last year, which was, I think, the best we've ever seen, it'd be hard to live up to that. But it's football, and I was watching football, and you were watching football, so it's not, not, not like life was bad there. But the games were eh, by NFL standards, right? And the best thing we can say about conference championship weekend coming up, as much as I would like to deal with this issue, is that it will not be played in a sterile neutral site in Atlanta. And perhaps that's maybe why we saw a bit of what we saw yesterday in Orchard Park. And that is where we begin, friends. With the Bills make me want to shout in a whole different way. The Buffalo Bills will not change. The Buffalo Bills will not evolve. The Buffalo Bills will not make the Super Bowl unless Sean McDermott changes. Let's say this right off the bat. Sean McDermott's my coach. I'm ride or die with Sean McDermott. Sean McDermott has done too much to build this team, build the culture of this team, turn things around since the moment he walked in the door, January 11, 2017. It was a gargantuan task. Sean McDermott to turn around a 17-year playoff drought and put a culture back to where it needed to be. He has done that. He has accomplished that. The Buffalo Bills are now a team that the playoffs are not only the expectation. This year began with Super Bowl or bust, and that is how I viewed this team from day one. That was a fun feeling in some ways, but a Stressful one in others. You may recall back in August when training camps were getting underway how torn I was to go into a season thinking that way, looking at everything through the prism of will this help the Buffalo Bills win the Super Bowl? And I was excited about the Vaughn Miller deal, and I felt like they were there. But truthfully, and I've said this on the air, it's not like I've hidden this before, but I, underneath all that, had this morbid fear that the Buffalo Bills peaked on that field in Kansas City last year with 13 seconds left, and I don't have to rehash that for you. That was Sean McDermott's fault. That was a coaching decision that cost the Buffalo Bills the game. And, yeah, Sean or Josh Allen didn't get the ball in overtime and that whole thing. And, by the way, something that I don't have an issue with, I hate that rule. Hate it. That's worse than the old rule. That it was a complete overreaction. But let's not rehash that. That was last year's Monday after the divisional round discussion. Coaching cost them the football game. Plain and simple. 
as we went through the season, there were a couple of times that I came on this radio show, usually on Mondays, and, you know, not just the rantings of a passionate Buffalo Bills fan, but I think you could hear my sincerity when I would come on this show and tell you, that's not a Super Bowl team. Because what I've done the past few years is when I watch the Super Bowl, I have looked at it through the prism of how do the Bills get here? Because during the drought, that was just a fairy tale. During the drought, that was just me bemoaning the days of, remember when we used to go to Super Bowls? Remember we used to make the playoffs? Remember we had a winning season? But when Sean McDermott came in the door and they won that playoff game, now they needed Cincinnati's help to get there, but they got there and they lost. And it's like, okay, that's one step. They don't really prefer to lose to Jacksonville, but, hey, you know, they were just in total, like, we're happy to be here mode. And they just kept getting there and evolving and stepping up, and Josh Allen becomes this force of nature. And there were moments, there were times where they were capable of it. But there was always something missing from this team truly being a Super Bowl contender. And what I've seen in really studying the teams that get to the Super Bowl in recent years is that window is so darn short. Now, if Kansas City gets back there, they're not the exception to the rule. They are essentially the Brady rule. If you find the right coach and the right quarterback, you're just going to be there as much as possible, right? Cincinnati seems to be certainly knocking loudly on that door. And Buffalo right now is playing for third place behind those two and may slip even further down if they don't shake things up, if they don't change their approach, if they don't figure out exactly what it is to build a Super Bowl team. Now, again, to their credit, I think they did some of those things in the offseason. Nobody saw a Vaughn Miller injury coming. You can only do so much in the cap. You have the franchise quarterback that you have to invest in, so you're hoping that you draft well, and they did draft well in a lot of spots. But what I saw yesterday was a team that got its ass run over for four quarters on both sides of the ball. That is not a Sean McDermott team. That's not what I've been told and I have seen Sean McDermott teams are. Sean McDermott teams are tough. They're physical. He's a defensive-minded coach, and I understand once you become a head coach in the NFL over a certain number of years, you just evolve into head coach. But who would ever look at Sean McDermott and say, see, that guy, that guy's the next Andy Reid right there. He's a defensive-minded coach. What we learned last year is Sean McDermott needs a star next to him running the plays, running the offense, and that man is not Ken Dorsey. That man is not Ken Dorsey. I get why they elevated Ken Dorsey to the position. Josh Allen really wanted him. Josh Allen's the franchise quarterback. You make the franchise quarterback happy. Ken Dorsey, do you need a ride to the airport? That's my question for you today. I hope you get another job. Please seek out another job. Please interview elsewhere. Let's just make this a natural breakaway because he ain't the guy. Well, how do you know that after one year? Because I know. I know what a Super Bowl team looks like. I know what a Super Bowl coordinator looks like. He ain't it. Was Leslie Frazier's headset working yesterday? Did they forget to turn that thing on? Because while they did hold Cincinnati to, well, I think 10 points in the second half. And for me to sit here and say, they didn't make any adjustments. I mean, of course they made some. It's an NFL football team, but they didn't make the right ones. When I watched the Cincinnati Bengals yesterday, what I saw was a team with purpose. What I saw is a team 
focused. What I saw was a team that knew exactly where I was going. What I saw was a team with a plan who had the extra juice of, hey, they're selling neutral site. Never give a great team that just extra added, yeah, for them to go out there and be determined and run your butt over. Now, that's not Buffalo's fault. They didn't set the neutral site game. But based on Joe Burrow's comments afterwards about the refunds, like I think we can tell it was on their mind. Cincinnati has been quietly stewing the past few weeks based on how they feel the league has treated them. Whether that's valid or not, they believed it. That's an edge that the Buffalo Bills used to have. Us against the world, right? We saw it again. All the adversity that this town and this franchise went through and that extends to wherever bill's mafia is and that's all true and man they went through hell the last year where was that edge where was playing for fill in the blank who we need to play for including the bill's mafia including just that edge that we've seen it wasn't in their eyes if you don't think my val- my opinion is valid there. Listen to Matt Milano. All year you guys found a way, it seemed like. Yeah. Today seemed out of the or- it was out of the ordinary for the way you guys have played all season. Yeah. Did you feel that way? I did feel that way. There was no real energy, um, juice, no momentum. Usually we'll get a stop, offense will score, or offense will score, defense will make a turnover, something, something to bring some uh, change of momentum, but there was none of that this week. That's Matt Milano. A lot of that was echoed in Orchard Park yesterday. Sean McDermott is actually at the podium as we speak, kind of doing his season wrap press conference. So I'll circle back on that and see if he says anything that changes my opinion here. But frankly, nothing's going to change my opinion here until we see the Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl. Because that's what I've been told the expectation is. That's a fair expectation to make based on their advancements in the playoffs, the franchise quarterback that they have, and a few other factors here. But see, let me go back to something I said a minute ago. Buffalo had no plan yesterday. Josh Allen being really freaking good at quarterback, that's not a plan. Third and two, when you just got to move the chains and play smart football and you chuck it down the field, I don't know if that's McDermott, Dorsey, or Allen. You're all wrong. Watch Cincinnati play football. What did they do? They found the holes in the defense and they picked it apart. Time after time after time. Joe Burrow is the best quarterback in the National Football League. Patrick Mahomes is the most talented quarterback in the National Football League. And look, Patrick Mahomes might beat Joe Burrow this week, and maybe my opinion swings back. But I know Josh Allen ain't the best quarterback in the National Football League. I think he was knocking on that door, but you'd be a moron if you said that now. They did not play with a purpose or a plan. Josh Allen winging it. When Josh Allen is clearly not himself, by the way, physically or mentally. Like I watched this team closely. I'm not a psychologist, but I know that dude was not right. And something's going to come out in the offseason about some kind of injury or mental thing. or you know Maybe they're just exhausted from everything that happened, which is understandable. But I think you can separate the two. I was actually happy that I didn't see a lot of messages from Bill's Mafia today. Oh, man, it was a hell of a year, and we went through so much. I'm proud of these guys. No, I think uh, both can be true. I think you can be proud of Western New York and Bill's Mafia and how they responded to everything that happened. I think you can be proud of Sean McDermott. Sean McDermott ran a master class on how to run all that stuff with no handbook, with no basis for that. That's all true, and that's why I'm ride or die with Sean McDermott. I don't want Sean Payton. I don't want to make a change there. I don't want any of that. 
I want to win with Sean McDermott. I want to get over the finish line with Sean McDermott. But Sean McDermott has got to change. The Bills will not change unless he does. There was no plan on offense. There was no plan on defense. Everything is built upon playing and peaking at your best now. Kansas City does it. Cincinnati does it. That's why they're back in the AFC Championship game. Buffalo has failed at it. They failed at it. And that window's open only so long, and I don't want this to become Phillip Rivers. I do not want this to become a really good quarterback that's in the playoffs every year, but they just never go where they need to go. So not only does Sean McDermott has to have to change, Brandon Bean has to change, and Josh Allen has to change. Everybody's got to change. I'll do my Rocky Four speech here. But what I saw on the field yesterday, I don't think I really need to spell it out for you. That ain't a Super Bowl team. And the fears that I had throughout the year with the laser focus, the laser focus with one thing in mind, all came to fruition. The fears that I had all came to fruition. Frankly, they came to fruition last week when they squeaked by a bad Miami Dolphins team. I was on this show a week ago saying, you can't say, oh, it's the playoffs and things happen, it's close and it's sports, if you really think you're the kind of team you build yourself up to be. And look, let's be fair, Vaughn Miller was out, that entire secondary was banked up, I don't care. I don't care. I don't want to hear it. If you truly think you're a Super Bowl team, you find a way. Patrick Mahomes didn't have Tyreek Hill this year, right? Is there a certain threshold for a team to be considered a Super Bowl contender with injuries? We can have that conversation. I'm not going to completely dispel that. But Sean McDermott's got to change here. If that means new coordinators, if that may, I don't know what that means. Because he better hurry because the window's closing. I hope I'm wrong. I hope my fears that they peaked on the field last year in Kansas City are wrong. I hope my fears that Sean McDermott is, man, a hell of a coach, but not a Super Bowl-level coach are wrong. I hope Brandon Bean takes a hard, clean look at this thing. Gives Sean McDermott, but gives Josh Allen some true weapons on that offense to take some pressure off. They don't need a star at running back, but clearly they need a better running game, and they need a couple of legit number one targets. Stephon Diggs, by the way, I'm with you. You can put on all the hissy fits you want because you're right. Third and two, we're throwing deep, and Diggs is open, and Josh Allen isn't even looking his way sometimes, which I do not understand. I, Gabe Davis is not a number two receiver, and there are, there's a lot of issues there. When you've got, I just spent the last few minutes talking about how Mahomes and Burrow are better, but, I mean, Josh Allen's a generational talent at the position. Give him some darn weapons. I know what Mahomes did without Tyree Kill this year, but I remember what he did with him, too. Give Josh two or three of those weapons. That's where the focus has to be. And, look, football, you can't. Lock it down at every position. The salary cap and the way things are structured, it prevents that. So you kind of have to take your chances at certain things. But beefing up the offensive line and giving Josh Allen some true weapons, I would put at 1-1-A, 1-B, and pretty much full down the list. And maybe that helps. 
a true star at offensive coordinator. I don't think this would happen. I would dance in the street if it did. Maybe Frank Reich wants to come home. There's better coordinators out there that will take full advantage of what Josh Allen is. Not an up-and-comer who may be something someday, somebody who is and somebody who was. That's what Buffalo needs. So, Sean, I hope, uh, and I, I believe you have, because I have faith in McDermott. I'm ride or die with McDermott. But I really hope you walked in that building today ready to kick some ass and change. I know you can kick ass. I know you set a culture. I, I, there's a lot of things about McDermott that I know. It's the things I don't that I hope you work on. And on that break, and on that note, we will break. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Yeah, he's been good at that. He must have watched Buddy play. He might, maybe he thinks he's six six. I don't. Know. It's Jim Beheim, Joe Bur- uh, Joe Gerard. Doing his, I almost said Joe Burrow. Joe Gerard. I can't get him off my mind. Baby, baby, Joe Gerard. Doing his uh, Buddy Beheim impression there. Uncle Brent's been saying the past couple of games as well, but uh, 28 points anyway. You can get a much more from the three-point line in this instance uh, for Gerard and Syracuse. And look, they avoided the pothole. They did their job. It's a clear path ahead in terms of what they need to do in order to enter the NCAA tournament chat, which they are nowhere near right now. They're not even the green bubble in the chat. They can't even get in the chat. They've still got a flip phone trying to get in on your iMessage chat. Not going to happen. So in order to upgrade, what do they have to do? Well, the path's right there in front of them, and it gets real starting tomorrow night as underdogs for the North Carolina Tar Heels. So we will get to that, but uh, Scooter wanted to hop in on uh, the NFL weekend, and we'll see how the uh, SOFAX College Fund picks did and all things in between here. Hello, Scoot. Well, we... You know, we took a little step back. I mean, we're expected, but you know, there's a couple of asterisks in our. And I remember, we did our. I, I got out of your lane, so I did the prop bets. And you know, I both, I, I both, we went uh, two and one with Kansas City. That the one we lost on was the Holmes over 38 attempts, and I think he doesn't hurt his ankle. He probably goes over. He had 30 on a bad deal. And couldn't do anything Pollard. about that, right? Yep, and, and Pollard uh, was over 48 yards. He was halfway there until he broke his leg. So, you know, you know, you lose, but still an asterisk. And then Barkley, which they got blown away, and I think they got blown away because I think he was Barkley. He had 21 yards. We needed 25. And then the other one was, was interesting was Samuels was over 55 and a half. He had 45 yards at halftime, four receptions. He got targeted <laughs> once in the second this half. Is so painful. Yeah, this is painful. Yeah. This is hollowed out so close yet yeah. so far away Every everywhere we turn here. Well, well, I'll tell you, that the Dancing with the Stars, I, 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 my better half, I got her tickets the, for a Christmas present. They're up at the Turning Stone, so I know it's going to lose the be able to watch the Giants game. So <laughs> I actually teased it up to 55, but when I got back after the concert, uh, there was already a blowout, and 
With seven minutes to go, the over-under dropped to 43. It was plus 160, so I was bored. So I Can you wager on Dancing with the Stars, by the way? Did they, did they have the a way for, can you wager on Dancing with the Stars? Was there, <laughs> was there a way? Because that's, that's how I'd have to get through that if I took my well, lovely did, bride to, to that. Uh, well, did, you ever, did you ever see uh, Home Improvement with Tim Allen? I, I have. And, there was yes. there's an episode where where, where the uh, Detroit Lions that's where it based out of was in the playoffs. That's the same day as his anniversary, uh, his wedding anniversary. So they go out to a romantic dinner. He's got the earbud in the ear, listening to the uh, the Lions game, and he's nodding his head and not, and not paying attention to his wife. All of a sudden, he scored a touchdown. He jumps out of the table. Five other guys do the same thing at the same time. <laughs> so, so, you know, it was the funniest. That, that's what I thought about dancing with the stars. I was, I was in the lower 10% of the demographics as far as males go. I think well, you 90% don't miss anything. I, speaking of, was it a turning stone where you went? Yeah, this? it was a turning so, stone, yeah. The same place I went to, God, this was, boy, it had to be longer than five years ago. I actually took a night off and took my bride to see Darius Rucker. And you don't miss a thing. Because all the dudes are on their phones and just, and this was even, this was even before, like Twitter was around, but it wasn't like as prominent as it is now, but enough where you could kind of check your phone and keep up with things. You don't miss a thing. And I I remember distinctly Syracuse played NC State that night, and I think they won down the stretch. And like, you just knew from the amount of people that stood up and erupted. And it wasn't because, you know, Darius went into wagon wheel that that Syracuse won. So that's the beauty of these things these days, Scoot, and appreciate the call as always, my friend. You don't miss anything, even if you're not looking at your phone, right? Back to Syracuse. Thank you, Scooter. Appreciate the in- – man, that's painful. Did you hear those picks we came up just short on? This wasn't our weekend. This wasn't our weekend in many, many ways. Guys, uh, must be tough out there for the Joe Girard haters, huh? Where's my Joe Girard haters at? You know, why is Joe playing? Joe cost this team games. Joe this, Joe that. Blah, freaking blah. Tough times for the haters, which is why we always say don't ride or die on those things. The fans, not that you can't have that opinion. This You want to you go down that road and be a troll. That, that's your choice. But, see, it's the fans that are consistent that I know Stephen North Syracuse has talked about this a bit, right, about the balance of, being critical, but being there as a fan, right? I think fans can be critical to a point. I think I could be critical to a point. Nobody's saying you can't be critical of the team because I tweeted that over the weekend, and I got a couple of people like, oh, I can't even criticize the team at Bayheim got to you. You can criticize the team all you want. This is America, Jack. But I think it's better to just be there, to be consistent, to offer praise as quickly as you would criticism. People respect that more. I respect that more. I try to do that. I certainly fall into my habits and my lanes. And I was pretty stuck on the Judah Mintz opinion last week, but that was for one game. That was for one game. There are those that only show in some sort of public forum, be it this radio show, Twitter, whatever it is, or message board still a thing. I don't even know. In the produce aisle at Wegmans, when particular players, and Joe kind of fell in this category, don't do well. People were still trying to argue with me about mistakes he was making 10 games ago. And I'm like, well, have you watched the last five or six games? Now, there was one game in there where he only scored seven points. But Joe Girard is in bleeping games territory with this team. They don't win, fill in how many games you want. 
bleeping games without Joe Girard. Period. End of story. And will not continue to win how many bleeping games without Joe Girard. Period. End of story. Sorry that ruins your narrative. I'm sorry that that ruins your story that you like to tell or call on this show or just sit there waiting like Dementors to pick apart his game. But even the biggest haters out there have to admit this team wouldn't be where they are without Joe Girard. I thought you to bounce back. Slow start, but got back into it in the second half. Syracuse needed that. From him, 13-6-1, six assists to one turnover. Back to a good rate there. Back scoring. You'll take it, right? Uh, more from uh, Jim Beheim here because Malik Brown went out there and uh, dropped a career-high 18 points. Yeah, you know, he's played about 30 minutes in four or five games, and he's been pretty consistent in those games. I think he caught Georgia Tech not aware. He just, you know, got a lot of – he got – it's hard to get eight layups in college basketball, and, you know, he just gets in position around there, and he – you know, he's getting better all the time, but, uh, you know, he, he knows how to find his position. He stays pretty close to the basket and uh, understands, um, you know, where there's going to be an opening and uh, is a good finisher around the basket as well. That's Jim Beheim on the ACC media call this morning. Did uh, Quidir Copeland come in and get six rebounds? I mean, go through the list. The press, well, looky here, worked once again. I thought when we made the substitutions in, in the first half and went with our press, we didn't really steal the ball, but they pushed it and they took a couple threes in transition. Then we were able to get the rebound and get down and score. So it really wasn't a matter of getting steals, but it was really a matter of them taking some shots. That's Jim Beheim Saturday after the game, and I think there is kind of a focus there on you think press, you think turnovers, get steals, turn a team around, which normally you have to do because when you go to the press, eh, put a number on it. You're down enough points where you're like, we got to steal some possessions back. But what we saw in this game, and I've seen a couple of times now, is it can alter the other team and essentially cause turnovers by them rushing shots, rushing possessions, not playing smooth, confident basketball. You throw a monkey wrench in the spokes and see if it knocks them off. And Georgia Tech clearly got knocked off. I mean, Georgia Tech's up 21-10. to 10. And i got to be honest, I'm not just saying this to look smart or something. I didn't flinch because I've seen this movie before. And I did the math. I'm like, well... Georgia Tech, not good team, plus the press, carry the two, divide by equal MC squared. Yeah, Syracuse is going to come back in this game, right? But see, that leads me to my next point here. You're not going to do that consistently with the teams you have left. There's not enough of those games where you can consistently fall behind and expect to come back. You can throw the press, the 3-3-5, whatever defense you want at teams. They're not going to let you get away with it. That flaw, Syracuse's inconsistencies in terms of someone else shooting threes and its defensive flaws overall are my concerns here. I like a few things I'm seeing. I think they have a will. I think they have a team that, I'm trying to think of the right way to put this, because 
Yeah, the, the flaw again was here we are about to cross over into February, and I still don't know what I'm getting from Chris Bell and Benny Williams. That's not good. Joe Girard had more combined rebounds than those two. I think even Quidier off the bench had more combined rebounds than those two. It's just like, I don't know. <laughs> I just, I, and I think Jim Beheim's at the same point I'm at. So I don't know. He started to talk about it in the press conference, just like, why bother? Right? Because you just get what you get. But you're going to need Benny in particular. You're going to need Chris Bell to shoot a few more threes and contribute something because this is a team that's going to need all hands on deck to navigate eight of the next 11 games in quad one, quad two territory and come out of that with the belief that they're in the chat because right now they're not. They are not in the group chat for the NCAA tournament. They're trying. They're asking, hey, I texted you guys. Did you get my text? You're not going to get it right now. North Carolina, first test tomorrow, quad one game at the Dome. We'll talk more about that tomorrow, of course. But if you, yes, you, would like to go to that game, well, Uncle Brent's here to help you. Just be caller six right now at 437-7644, and you are going to get a pair of tickets to see that game tomorrow night. Carolina, Syracuse, 9 o'clock, Dome. Be there, be square as the kids would say. 437-7644. Caller 6, you're a winner. Syracuse, Carolina. Let's get it. Hot takes next. We'll look at the rest of the football weekend, non-Buffalo Bills version. Stay right there.